Good morning. If you would, join me in turning to Exodus chapter 20. If you're, uh, if you're with us for the first time this morning, the way that we do preaching here at Grace Fellowship is we work our way through a book. And so we have been working our way through the Old Testament book of Exodus, which is, uh, which is the story of how God rescues his Old Testament people, Israel, out of their slavery in Egypt and then makes them into a new people, right? That's what the book of Exodus is all about. Uh, And it actually has a lot to say to us this side of Jesus in the New Testament because it's a story of how God saves and makes new, which is exactly what God does for us in Christ. He rescues us from our slavery to sin, and then by the power of His grace, He makes us new people, right? So we are are rescued, and we are identified and made the people of God, uh, and then we are made new by the power of His grace. And so this Old Testament book actually has a lot to say to us about uh, how we live today, though how we apply it's a little bit different. And we're working our way through the Ten Commandments. And so uh, if you're uh, not from a church background, uh, even culturally you may have heard of the Ten Commandments, but if that's not familiar to you, these are, uh, these are ten words is what the Bible calls them, but they are the foundation of God's law, right? So all of the other specific laws flow out of these ten principles. And we've already looked at some, uh, and hopefully today, at least today, we're going to read the last part of it, uh, even if we don't get to all of them in the sermon. By the way, the, uh, the irony is not lost on me that, uh, that I managed to preach an hour-long sermon on rest last week. You should know that from up here, I didn't realize I was doing that. Uh, and part of the reason I didn't realize I was doing that was because so many of you were like engaged and nodding and, you know, some people were taking notes. So even though I knew the sermon was going a little long, I had no idea it was that long. Uh, so let me just go ahead and say I'm sorry. Um, I never intend to preach a 59-minute sermon, which is what I did last week. Uh, and again, if you're new with us today, this is the first time you're with us, uh, that's not normal. Uh, but since it went so well, we're going to shoot for it each week, all right? So, um, thanks, Jen. All right, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have your own Bible, grab, uh, grab there should be a black hardcover one on the uh, row in front of you there. Grab one of those. Uh, Page 61 is where we're going to be, Exodus chapter 20, Uh, the passage, uh, the passage, the verses we're looking at today, 12 through 17. I am going to read verse 2, as has been my habit, because it sets the frame for us. We're reminded that God saves his people first and then gives them his law. God saves first, grace comes before the law, all right? So I'm going to start reading at verse 2 and then jump over to verse 12. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. 
This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this Word. Now, God, we ask for your help in understanding it and in applying it. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you cause your Word to strike our hearts that we would be transformed? May we see Jesus even in these commands. Would you, would you send us to the Savior? And we pray it in His name. Amen. So, depending on when you date the Exodus, about 1,500 years after God speaks these words on Mount Sinai, uh, Jesus is alive and is walking the earth, and He is approached by a lawyer. Somebody who, in that day, would have been very familiar with the Old Testament law. They would have known... The Ten Commandments. And, and here's what this lawyer asked Jesus. He says, which one of, the, which one of the, the commands is the most important? Right? So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a trick question. It's kind of like saying, which part of the Bible is the most important part of the Bible? Right? Well, if we believe that, God's, that the Bible is, the, all of the Bible is God's Word, then there's no one part is more important than another. But... So this, this, this lawyer comes up to Jesus and he says, okay, if I'm going to follow a command, which one's it going to be? Like if I, if I fail at everything else, what's the one thing I need to get right? And Jesus, in the way that so frustratingly does, um, answers the man's question, but in a way that really blows up, right, really, really blows the guy's mind up, all right? So this is in Matthew 22. This guy approaches Jesus, and he says in verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which one, if I'm going to do it, is the commandment to do? And Jesus says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. All right, so that's actually Neil preached for us a few weeks ago. That's actually the first part of the Ten Commandments. That's commandment one through four, right? Actually, we looked at commandment four last week. That's what took us an hour. Um, Neil did much better at one through three in much less time. So maybe we should have Neil preach every one of the commandments. But so the first part uh, of the Ten Commandments is considered our love to God, right? Uh, Jesus summarizes those first four by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want you to notice the Ten Commandments actually have kind of a roughly parallel structure, okay? So, the Ten Commandments work like this. They, they first tell us how to love God with our thoughts. That's Commandments 1 and 2. So, thoughts. Then they say, tell us how to love God with our words. That's Commandment 3. And then they tell us how to love God with our deeds. That's Commandment 4. So, that covers all of life right there, from the inner to the outer. Thoughts, words, and deeds. But that's not where they stop, and that's not where Jesus stops. Right? He says, this is the first and great commandment. Love the Lord your God. That's the vertical. Okay? But then he says this. A second is like it. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus looks at this attorney who's just, who's really just asked for one commandment, right? Which one command do I need to keep? And Jesus says, eh, it's not that simple, 
right? The first and great is your vertical, is your vertical relationship with the Lord. Love the Lord your God. But right behind it, a second is like it, right behind it. If you love the Lord your God, you, are also, you also need to love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's the horizontal. Now, I want you to see how the Ten Commandments do this, um, how they parallel the first. So, right, remember I said thought, word, and deed, all right? So, commandments, let me make sure I get this right, commandments five through eight tell us how to love our neighbor in deed. Commandment number nine tells us how to love our neighbor in word, and commandment ten tells us how to love our neighbor in thought, right? So, we go from thought, word, to deed, right, from inward life to outer life, and then we learn how to love from outer back to inner, right? So the first commandment, um, you shall have no other gods before me, that's a heart command, is parallel to the tenth commandment. Do not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's stuff, okay? So right there, Jesus has covered every relationship in your life, vertical and horizontal, and every part of your life, every sphere, inward and outward, so not just what we do, but what we say. And not just what we say, but what we feel and think and believe. All of that is part of our love to God and love to neighbor, vertical and horizontal. There's no part of, of our life that is not covered by God's law, right? Um, and let me say this too, because I think this changes the perspective on how we view the law. What we have here, especially in these last Six commandments, our love for our neighbor, is actually what it means to be truly human. I mean, when you, when you read these commandments, is this not what you want for yourself? Like, let's put aside for just a second the fact that every single one of us falls short of it. But, you, like, you've met, that, you've met that person, right? Like, usually they're, usually they're older, um, and probably they've, they've walked with the Lord, and maybe they've been a Christian for a really long time, but they're just a really good person. And you think to yourself, man, wouldn't that be nice? To be that man? To be that woman? What the law of God is, what it tells us is, this is what life looks like. This is, this is what it means to be human, truly human. Not debased and animal-like like our sin has made us, but these... This is what it means. This is how we ought to treat one another. This is what it means to be truly human. And in that way, the law is not, the law is not burdensome to crush us, but the law shows us what it means to actually live. Remember, this is a law. This is a, these, these ten words were spoken to people who had just been brought into freedom. They were not being put back into slavery. That is not what they were for. What God was telling these people is he was saying, here's, here's what it means to live a full and free and happy life. Okay? So, with those, those comments in mind, look, the odds that we're going to get all the way to commandment number 10 today are pretty slim. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best, all right? And I'm just going to walk through these last six. And I, and I want to spend a brief amount of time explaining what they mean, right? And in that, kind of say, okay, well, what does this have to do with us now? But underneath each one of these commandments, too, remember that when God speaks, he reveals something about himself. So underneath each one of these words, underneath each one of these laws, is a character trait of God. 
God is saying, this is what I am like, therefore you be like me too, right? Um, so we're going we're gonna to look about, we're going to look at that. Uh, and then we're going to see how Jesus uh, transforms this and makes this possible for us, okay? Uh, so I'm just going to tell you right up, right up front that as we preach through this, if you're, if you're new here with us this morning, um, preaching, preaching through law is difficult because it cannot help but leave you on the other side feeling hopeless, frustrated, convicted, etc. Right? When, when we walk through this and you see just how deep this rabbit hole goes... Like just what is meant, for instance, when God says, do not steal. Like my, part of my job, if, if we get to that one today, part of my job at the end of that is that every single one of us feels like a thief. Because that's, what the, that's part of what the law does. The law is meant to lay us bare and say, yep, that one too. Right? So my, my hope is that none of us comes away from this going, man, I'm doing pretty good, you know? I got like... An 80 on the test, right? Um, that's not really how this is meant to work. I mean, that's, and that's the hard part about preaching this. And so uh, I'm just going to say up front, like, this is going to sound a hard word, okay? But my hope is that I can, I can turn it over and you can hear the good word of God's grace on the other side of this. All right? So, but we're going to do it in that way. Uh, we're going we're gonna to... Commandment number five, it's unique and it sits out on its own. Uh, under this heading of love your neighbor, first we're going to see how love begins at home. Then we're going to just do that deed, word, thought thing, right? So loving your neighbor in deed. So do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Uh, loving your neighbor in word, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then finally, loving your neighbor in thought, do not covet your neighbor's anything that is your neighbor's, okay? So let's jump in. Loving others begins at home. This is the way, uh, this is the way God puts it. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Exodus 20, verse 12. And so, it's interesting that when God transitions, and I'll remind you of that too, that what, what is being spoken right now, these ten words are coming directly out of God's mouth to the people. God is speaking to all of the people of Israel gathered at Mount Sinai. He's not speaking just to Moses. He's speaking to all of them. And when he transitions from talking about, all right, here's how you love me. This is what your loyalty to me looks like. Now let's talk about your loyalty to other people. It's interesting that he starts with the home, right? So that understanding how to love your neighbor actually begins, right? It actually begins with learning how to honor your father and your mother. And we could even say, right, that those who learn how to honor their father and their mother will be best equipped for, learning, for loving other people well, right? Home is where children learn to follow the Lord. And parents, particularly Christian parents, this is where, um, this, this, is a, this is a heavy weight, right? Mom and dad, your children will first know God through you. Just think about that when they're when they're babies, when they're infants, and they know nothing except I'm hungry or I'm tired or I have to go to the bathroom. That's it. They they are as they are learning life. They are they are not born with a direct connect to the Lord. Right? That vertical relationship uh, we say is 
is not consciously there, right? So the way that children learn to know God is through their parents. No pressure. Right? The way that parents learn how to know God is, is through their parents. So your priorities, mom, dad, will be their priorities. Your rhythms, the way that what, what, whoever it is or whatever it is that rules your life will rule their lives. Right? Your rhythms and rules will be their rhythms and rules. And so... This principle actually broadens out and extrapolates to all God-given authority, right? We learn from honoring our parents what it means to honor other authorities in life. In fact, I would probably say you, you would be hard-pressed to find the child who honors his teacher, right, who, who listens to his teacher in school, who hasn't first learned to honor father and mother at home. Or, right, the, the, the lady who respects and listens to her boss, who's a good worker, a good employee, first learned how to honor father and mother at home. That's how key these relationships are. That word honor, it means to have weight, to be heavy. Uh, it's the word glory. Right? So you think, like when we speak of somebody, when we say their opinion carries a lot of weight, what do we mean? We mean that that what they think matters more to us. When they say something, it counts. Where somebody else might say something and it doesn't count to us as much, right? This person has more weight. What God is, what God is saying is children, and it's interesting, right? God is talking to children. We often think like, oh, well, you know, there's that whole age of accountability thing. Like, like children don't really know what they're hearing or doing. So, as they're gathered at the foot of the mountain, God is speaking to the children gathered there. They are a part of this covenant group. They are a part of the covenant family. And he is laying this on them. He's saying, children, honor your parents. Give them weight. Treat them in the weighty way. We would almost say that they deserve. But if you've been a parent, you know what it means not to deserve your children's honor. Right? You know what it means to feel like you have forfeited, um, forfeited that honor, forfeited that glory. I know how that feels to think my, my children really shouldn't listen to me right now. Uh, my temper or whatever, whatever it is, um, parents, you know that you don't always deserve your children's honor. And so children, we need to say that, right? That, that your mom and your dad, they, they know, right? They get it. They understand. Hopefully, they understand their, their failings, their shortcomings. But this command comes from the Lord and not from your parents. God has designed the home to be the place where children learn how to flourish, right? He, he is designing this, has designed this as the most basic unit of society, the home is the most basic unit of society. And so this is not because parents always deserve it in and of themselves, but because God says, honor your father and mother. There's one caveat, and that's godliness. Kids, if your parents tell you to do something that God would not have you do, you have a right to not listen to mom and dad, okay? If mom and dad say something that is out of accord with what God says, you go with God, okay? That's, he, he's the winner, all right? Uh, and, that's, and that's true in all authority relationships, right? It's true with our government. Uh, we, we, go, we submit to the government, 
until the government tells us to do that which is not in accord with God's will. And then we say, sorry, I can't go there. That's true with our employers, right? Every, every authoritative relationship, we, have, we, we go, we submit, we, uh, we honor until, right? The, the Lord, we, could, we could say it this way. The Lord's honor trumps everybody else's, all right? The Lord's honor trumps everybody else's. So somebody's going to lead you away from God, just stick with God. That'll, you'll be far better off. Let me also say this. this. This applies even after you're grown, so, so honoring your mom and your dad looks different at 5 and at 15 and at 35. But this command doesn't go away. It morphs, right? It changes, it transforms. In fact, part of the reason this command was being given is so that those who were older knew they were going to be taken care of by their kids, Right? That was, that, was, that was a really practical part of this command in Israel. Kids, when your parents get too old to take care of themselves, it's up to you to figure out how that's done. Right? That's, a, that's a very basic application of this word, to honor father and mother. And then he attaches a promise to it. He says, honor your father and mother that it will go well with you in the land, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Here's what that means. It's not, it's not like a mathematical formula promise, okay? He's not saying, if you obey everything mom and dad tell you to do, you'll live to your 95, right? That's not what he's saying. It's a, it's a general life promise, right? That, that if you honor your father and mother, life will go well with you. You may only live to 35, but it'll be a good 35 years, right? And isn't it, isn't it great that he gives us a promise and not a threat, The Lord doesn't say, honor your father and mother or else I will cut you off. He doesn't threaten. He says, honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you. And I've got some young friends who need to hear that. You need to to hear that promise because right now you feel like honoring your mom and dad is death. You feel like listening to what they have to say is the dumbest thing on the planet. And you think, you, you think that nobody could be stupider than your parents at this moment. And so I'm telling you to listen to that promise. Because right now in your heart, it sounds like death what they're saying. But I promise you that if they're in line with God, they are speaking life to you. And that if you heed what they have to say, it will go well with you. Not in a mathematical guarantee sort of way, but that generally, generally speaking, your life will go well. And you need to hear that. You need to, you need to take that promise and you need to drown out that voice in your heart that's saying, Mom and Dad have no idea what they're talking about. Every time they tell me not to do something, I think they're just trying... Like they, I, I heard a cool, fun word this week. Fun sponge. Apparently, I'm a fun sponge. Okay. Right now, mom and dad sound like fun sponges. But I can point you to older friends of mine sitting in this room who will tell you that your parents are speaking a life to you right now, even if you don't believe it. And they've, by God's grace, they've wrecked their lives... But by God's grace, they haven't made a total wreck of it and they've come back around and they've come to realize, 
you know what, those were words of life. I wish I'd listened to them sooner. So I can, I can give you the stories of people who wish they had listened to the promise. Right? So kids, teens, I'm telling you, this is a, this is a good word. This is a promise for you. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you in the land. All right. So loving others begins at home. Loving others, what does it look like to love others indeed, right? With our, with our hands, with our works. Uh, the next commandment is do not murder. We actually covered this one all by itself on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Uh, and the gist was this, right? The, the, the principle underneath this is that God is the creator and giver of life. And that means that life is good, Human life is made in God's image. That means it's a direct reflection of Him. And that means that it has value intrinsically. So, whether a person is useful or not, does not give them value. And that means, right, the way that we apply that, that a two-day-old pre-born child in the womb is valuable. Because it's made in the image of God. And the 95-year-old woman who has dementia and whose body is rotting away in the bed and doesn't even know what's happening to her, she has value because she's made in the image of God. She is not less valuable because she's no longer useful to society. And we have a society that says, nope, as soon as you cease to be useful to us, you can be discarded. And what this command tells us is no one is discardable. No one is invisible. Everyone, everyone has value. And to believe that means to protect life and to guard life and to take care of life. Right? It's not, it's not enough. Every command has a positive and a negative aspect, right? So the negative aspect of this is do not murder, all right? So that's a, that's a prohibition. But the positive is what can you do to, to cherish life? What can you do to protect life? How can you meet the needs of someone else, right? All of that is wrapped up in the principle of do not murder, right? That God loves and cherishes life, and so we should too. Do not commit adultery, Right now, if the last one is uh, universally agreed upon as a good idea, this is the one where we really struggle. Which is interesting because at Moses' time, even outside of Israelite culture, adultery was considered one of the great sins. So let that sink in because cause in our day, we're trying to figure out, well, I mean, is this really all that bad? So, specifically, what this command is about is the marriage covenant, right? Between a husband and a wife. Don't violate it. Don't break it. Don't sleep with somebody who's married. If you're not, um, basically, whatever, whatever would safeguard the marriage relationship, do that. That's what's covered in this commandment. Broadly, this applies to honoring sexuality in all kinds of relationships, right? All of the other... Um, all of the other sexuality commands that the Bible has flow out of this one, right? The, the, the meaning being that God determines what is good and right in terms of our relationships. He gives sexuality and marriage as a gift. And because he's the one who's given the gift, he's the one who gets to say how it's used. 
And when we don't use it the way God has called us to, it causes all kind of problems. Right? It, all, it, it causes all kind of griefs. We actually talked about that this morning in the men's Sunday school class. It's interesting, right? Right now in our culture, just, just the headlines in the past six months. I don't know if you caught this. A few, uh, a few months back, I think it was tail end of last year, Hugh Hefner, founder of Playboy uh, Enterprises, he died and was lauded as a cultural hero at the same time that Harvey Weinstein was being raked over the coals for using his power to abuse women sexually. So I just want you to see the the irony in that, that culturally we're holding up one as a hero because he's liberating people, and yet we're demonizing the other because he's using so-called liberty to abuse other people. Which, by the way, is nothing new. That's been happening since the, crea- since the fall of man. Okay? Um, so this is, not, this is not a new thing. It's just, it's just hot and happening right now in our culture. That's, that's where we are. In the middle of that stands God's law, which says, hey, sexuality is always meant to be in the bounds of marriage between a husband and a wife. This is where it flourishes. You get outside of this. right? This is, this is the fireplace that the fire is meant to burn in. If you're going to try to cultivate a fire outside of this fireplace, you're going to run the risk of burning the forest down. It may not. You may do very little damage. But you could do a whole lot. Hence the, the need for the command. What's at the heart of this? What's, what's underneath this? Uh, by the way, with this one and, and with the last command, one of the things that, uh, that people will often say is, well, yeah, but all, all sins are equal, right? And that's true in an, to an extent. All sins are the same in penalty before the Lord, right? Uh, the, so, so the way, for instance, with this command, the way that Jesus reads this command and deepens it as he says, not just, not just if you commit adultery, have you broken this law? But if you've thought about it, right? He tells us in, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 that if, you, that if you've looked at another woman with lustful intent, that's a violation of the adultery commandment. So in that way, those sins are the same, right? You've broken the commandment. However, we should say that to think about it, to fantasize, and to actually do it are two different things. Right? That, the, that while, yes, before God's eyes, the sin is the same, um, there, is, there is greater aggravation, right? There are greater com- consequences in moving from fantasy to reality, okay? Uh, if I'm harboring bitterness in my heart, Jesus says I'm a murderer. If I'm angry with you, if I hate you, I'm a murderer. And yet the consequences and impact of that sin are felt much more strongly if that, if that bitterness breaks out and I actually murder you. Okay? So I just want just to clarify that. Um, so, what's at the heart of this seventh commandment? Marriage is used throughout the Bible as a symbol of God's relationship to his people. Alright? Marriage is used as a symbol throughout the Bible of God's relationship to his people. God says he is our husband... And we are his bride. Now, here's the record. God is the, God is the faithful covenant keeper. He is the husband who keeps his word and keeps his promises every time. 
And God's people throughout the course of the Bible are those who break the covenant. Even in the book of Hosea, right? Um, God uses Hosea. Hosea is told to go and marry a woman who is unfaithful. Right? Imagine if, imagine if that were your assignment, right? God told you uh, in a dream, like, hey, uh, I need you to give a message to my people. The way you're going to do that is you're going to marry a woman who won't be faithful to you. You're just going to know right up front, as soon as you take her home, she's going to run out that night and go be with somebody else. God says, that's what, that's what being married to you is like. Okay? And so, because God is the faithful covenant keeper... He is the one who keeps his marriage vows to his people. We are called to mirror that. We are called to be covenant keepers as well. God is faithful to keep his promises, and so we can be faithful to keep our promises, which makes for flourishing homes, flourishing families, and for a flourishing society. Right? Uh, Tim Keller, in his book on marriage gives this amazing, uh, amazing example. This, so this girl, this lady wrote for the uh, New York Times, I believe. She was an op-ed writer. And she tells a story of her, own, of her affair uh, and how she had had an affair with another married man. And she said, great for a few months. And then it was an absolute train wreck, right? It ruined her life. It ruined his life. Ruined their families. And in the midst of going through all of that, she looked, at her, she looked at her parents who had been married, let's say, I can't remember the exact number, let's say her parents who had been married for 50 years. And she made the observation that nothing about their relationship looked as exciting as the affair. Nothing about their relationship just seemed, you know, fireworks on the 4th of July like the affair had been. But as the whole thing came crashing down, she was able to look at her parents' long, committed marriage relationship and say, that's better. That's what God is offering. That's what God is holding out to us. This may not look life-giving to you, but I promise that it is. And if you walk in this way, it will be life for you and not death. And to pull out of this way will be death. We're going to have to close there for now. But um, let me close by asking this question. How are, you, how are you doing with all of that? Right? There, there's probably, let's see, at least... There's a couple of ways you can come at this. Okay, So there's, there's three people, uh, three kinds of people I want to address this to. The first, you may, you may come at the law and you may hear... Man, whatever. I don't buy it. You know, that's, that's, just, that's just you religious people trying to tell me how to live my life. Okay, I hear that. But I need, to, I need to tell you of the warning that comes with this. And I would even, and I would even tell you of the warning that comes with this by pointing to the social effects of sin in the world. But this, there is life here. And God says that to depart from that means death. Not just, not simply physical death, but actually death in your relationships. Death in maybe your own soul. And so if, if you still want to run, I can't make you stay. 
But I just want to hold out to you the, author, the offer of life. And that the giver of life is saying, this is, there is good here. Now, another group of people, you could come at this as you could say, huh, all right, I think, you know, I think I'm, I'm nailing it, right? Like I'm doing pretty well. And I would say to you, you are still in bondage to the law, right? If you, like, if, you're, if, you, if you hear these and you say, man, if I could just do this a little bit better, then I know God would love me. And I'm going to say to you, that's not what the law is for. And if you stay on that road, you too will enter death, right? It's going to look different, but it's just as damning. You cannot use the law to earn God's favor. And so if you're there, I need to warn you too, that that is not the law's intent. If you try to use the law to earn favor with God, you will lose. And then another group of people. And when you hear the law... When you hear what I've just said, maybe you say, I can't do it. Or, I've tried, and I'm a miserable failure. And maybe even, maybe even further than that, you think, God, God doesn't want me. I have made a wreck of my life. I am an adulterer. I am a murderer. There's, there's no hope for me. And friend, I would say to you, that's exactly what the law is for. You are exactly whom God wants to speak to. Because you are in the best position. You you are in the position of someone who knows their sin. And that's what God's law is intended to do. It's intended to bring us up short so that we would say, God have mercy. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so if that's where you are this morning, if you are the weary, if you are the broken, if you are the hopeless, hear this, hear this good news. Come to Jesus. He is for you. He forgives you. You need to hear from Galatians chapter 3. Let me turn there really quickly and we'll finish. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For the people who think they can rely on the law, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written of the book of the law and do them. But, verse 13... Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Galatians 3, 20, 23 Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. Don't come to the law for help. Come to Jesus and be saved. Let's pray.
Father, as we continue to make our way through this second table of the law over the next couple of weeks, God, we, I pray for your blessing. I pray that we would not be so despairing in hearing it, but that we would hear words of life. Lord, for those of us who feel hopeless, for those of us who feel condemned and ashamed, we are right where you want us to be. Because you would have us be free of sin. And we must know our disease before we can know its cure. So Lord, I pray that you would use your law to make us aware of our sin. And then that we would run to our Savior Jesus. And we would say, as the old hymn says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Would you do that for us today, Lord? Wash us. We're filthy. That's what your law tells us, we're filthy. Would you wash us anew and then show us how we can love our neighbors by the power of your Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Let's make this our prayer that we would only dwell in God. If today Distant lands I scatter